Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. How are you guys doing this morning? Awesome. Cool. Let's give a hand to my grandfather-in-law. All right. Well, we are finishing our uh, series today in the book of prayers uh, as we're journeying through the book of Psalms. And uh, as Junior said, Garrett Owen's going to be preaching this morning. And uh, Garrett, if you want to go ahead and come up, he's the fifth and final guy uh, to preach their first sermon. And so he's, uh, you're going to, we saved the best for last, right? Uh, maybe. I don't know. But. No, I, I, uh, I'm really proud of this kid. Uh, he's worked really hard last, when did I tell you about this? Like two months? Yeah, probably so. Right so when he's way better than me, just remember he oh, had a month man. to prepare this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and I'll be back next week. Uh, just to let you guys know kind of where we're going. We'll be back in uh, second Peter. We finished last time I preached, which was like three years ago. It feels like. Uh, we were in First Peter, and now we're going into Second Peter. It's going to be a lot of fun. We get to talk about power for a godly life, and then we get to talk about hell and the end of the world, which is just my favorite two topics, you know. So it's it's going to be a really fun series. I'm super pumped about it, and uh, I'm even more excited to see what God's going to say through Garrett today. So I'm going to pray for him, and then I'm going to turn it over to him. Father God, thank you for Garrett. God, thank you um, that he reached out to me about a year and a half ago, and we've been able to develop a, a friendship. Uh, Lord, I'm so proud of all the things uh, you're doing in his life. I'm uh, proud of uh, him for even standing up here and taking this risk. God, I pray as a people, we would do a really good job of listening today. We would listen to the words uh, that Garrett has prepared for us. And God, I pray for Garrett. I pray that you'd calm any nerves that he might have uh, and give him courage to speak your word. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Okay, I'm like up here checking my fly. I remember one time Blake's fly was down, and I'm like, that's my worst fear now, so. Okay, well, happy 4th of July, everybody. Um, I'm super pumped that you guys decided to come today. This is a lot larger crowd than what I was expecting, so my heart rate's a little bit up right now, but that's okay. Um, So I thought that before I begin, uh, that I could maybe tell a few jokes just to get the first few words out of my mouth, and that way I don't, you know, just stumble into it. Uh, so these are some dad jokes. If you like dad jokes, laugh really hard. If you don't like dad jokes, still laugh really hard. Um, okay, so how come there aren't any knock-knock jokes about America? Anybody? Because freedom rings. <laughs> what was the most popular dance in 1776? Independence, yeah, nice, independence. Okay, what did a patriot put on his dry skin? Revolution. (laughs) All right, and finally the last one. What did one American flag say to the other American flag? Nothing, it just waved. Okay, so, yeah, I... I'm a little bit glad I decided to do that. My, my, my heart rate's still like 150 right now, but it's okay. Um, so this is my very first time ever preaching a sermon. Honestly, I'm just humbled. So thanks, Blake. Thank Ascent Church. And um, honestly, just praise God for allowing this opportunity. Uh, so let me just pray before I begin, and then we're just going to jump right to it. Father God, um, we just praise you this morning. 
We praise you for your goodness, for the word that you have put before us. God, I pray that you would just soften the hearts of the listeners. God, just speak through me. Give me the words. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, today um, we're going to be looking at Psalm 8, as Junior just read. Um, And and as he said, it was written by King David. Um, And and we're going to be talking about the word glory. And so I realize that the word glory isn't one that's in our everyday vocab. But primarily what it means is a sort of royal power or beauty. So a lot of the times when we picture something with extreme power or beauty, some of us think of nature. So some think of a rushing river with rapids and waterfalls. Some think of sports or a great athlete. So you may think of Michael Jordan, for example. Or perhaps you really know basketball and you think of LeBron James. (laughs) But uh, when we experience these type of things, we often drop our jaw in amazement or we gasp in awe or we may even become covered with goosebumps. Either way, we've all experienced this glory in one way or another. And in a similar manner, the glory of God is capable of doing the exact same thing in our everyday life. And that is what we're going to be looking at in Psalm chapter 8. And we see this in three different ways. First, the glory of God in his name. Second, in his people. And then lastly, in the gospel. So now we're going to get straight to my first point. The glory of God in his name. So verse 1 reads, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. At first glance, it's pretty obvious, right? Like David is pointing out this power of God's name. But it's deeper than him just saying it, right? He says it with passion. So he begins with Lord, our Lord. And when you say these first three words out loud, it may sound redundant, right? Almost like he's addressing God twice within the first three words. Almost like he's letting God know he's speaking to him twice. Why does he need to let God know he's doing this, right? So when we research this deeper, we can actually find out that the King James Version of the Bible writes the first Lord in all caps. So it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, versus the second Lord, which is only capital L. So maybe David isn't saying the exact same thing. See, the all caps Lord is actually the translated Hebrew name of God. The correct pronunciation is debated, but you've probably either heard it as Yahweh or Jehovah. And the reason we're not 100% correct on this pronunciation is because early Jews, such as King David, who's writing this psalm, felt that this name was so sacred that when they were writing their scripture or whatever they were writing, they literally would not even spell it correctly. They would only put the consonants on their scrolls so that if somebody were to read it, they wouldn't say the name out loud. It was so sacred. This is the name that the Lord spoke to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. So in Exodus chapter 3, God calls upon Moses from a burning bush. And he's like, Moses, I need you to lead my people out of slavery. So Moses is like, okay, God, I can do that. But what should I tell them to call you? And God says, Yahweh, tell them that Yahweh sent you. 
So when translated to the English language, this name literally means I am who I am. So I don't know about you all, but for me, that's really confusing, right? It's like this name is one that exceeds what we think of as a name, right? It's a state of action and also a state of becoming. So this name is one that speaks to the nature of God in a way that can't even be explained or interpreted by our human thoughts. This name represents the character of God, that he is eternal, unchangeable, and always faithful. This is how David starts this hymn, Yahweh. And so if explaining the meaning and the interpretation of this name isn't enough for you to admit that it has glory, let me point out one more thing. So just for a second, I want everyone here to take a big, deep breath, mouth open, big inhale, long exhale. You better be hoping the person next to you brushed your teeth this morning because you're going to find out real fast if they didn't. Anyway. Now, so inhale, exhale. Now I want you to say the name Yahweh, but whisper it. No vocal cord use at all. Just whisper So now kind of alternate the two. And then as you start to alternate, make your inhale, yah, exhale, way. Do you see the similarities between the two? Like it's also it's it's almost like your breath is the name of God. So now I want us all to think about why is it that we breathe? Why is it that we have to breathe in order to stay alive? Why is it that the first thing a newborn baby does when it makes its debut on earth is breathe its first breath? And why is it that the last thing that we do on this earth before we die is breathe our last? And now I want to ask you all this question. Could it be that the pronunciation of this name is always on our lips? It's literally the fuel for our lives And that the only way to comprehend this name is to sit in silence, only breathing, contemplating on the power of this name, Yahweh. His name is that which represents glory and life. And now to the second lore, which only has the capital L, which is, again, another translated Hebrew word, which is Adonai. And this means master or ruler, right? So David begins by calling Yahweh or by calling God Yahweh. And then he goes right into saying he's his master. So do you see my point becoming clearer now? His glory in his name. And just these first three words, David is not simply just addressing the Lord by, hey, man, upstairs, right? Like he's addressing the most holy being to ever be and is establishing who the Lord is by calling him by name. He is who he is. He is our master and our author and our ruler. And now that the first line is clear, we can begin to grasp a better understanding of the latter half of the verse. How majestic is your name in all the earth? Because on the first read, when you read how... Typically, you're asking a question, right? Like in our language, when we say how, we're meaning by what means. But when you look at the verse, David's not asking a question here. See what he's doing. He's making a statement about God's name. 
Declaring the power, authority, and authority of God and his character in all the earth. So now that we see he's calling God this holy name and that he believes it's wonderful, we must ask, why? Why, David? So let's sit in David's seat and take a look at God's awesome track record up to this point. So to begin, we can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. And we have um, evidence that God created all things from the heavens, the earth, to light, to darkness, to plants, animals, and finally humans. So I'd say that's pretty glorious, right? Like that's enough to say that his name is glorious. We're not going to stop there. We also have knowledge that God had the power to cause the entire earth to flood in Genesis chapter 7. We also have knowledge from the book of Exodus in which Moses, like I said earlier, who God called upon, when when Moses led the Hebrews out of Egypt, So God did many powerful things in this portion of the Bible, most notable being that he sent powerful plagues such as hail, locusts, and darkness upon the Egyptians. And maybe the most well-known, he parted the Red Sea, leading the Hebrews to freedom. So Now these are just a few large examples of the supreme power, and there's many smaller that I skipped over, but nonetheless, it's evident that this name is glorious. And then in the latter half of verse 1, it reads, You have covered the heavens with your majesty. So we see that God is not only glorified on earth, but also in the heavens. Right? It's like the earth was not a big enough measure for David to get his point across here. So not only is he king of the earth, but also of the entire universe. And ultimately, I admire what David has done here. Guys, I believe it sets a beautiful example for people like you and I in our prayer and our worship time with the Lord. So you see what David has done is he has entered into this precious time, this time of prayer with the Lord by addressing him by the most powerful name he knows how. And he begins his worship with an attitude of pure praise to Yahweh. So that's how this point applies to us. In order to worship the Lord, we must begin with an attitude of praise to the giver of life and the one with the most holy name in all the earth. Now let's keep reading to see how David continues to worship this glorious God. Verse 2 reads, From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries, in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. I remember reading this verse the first first few times, and I was like, what is going on? Right? Like David does a complete 180 in his writing. One moment we're drawn to this magnificent power, huge power of God, and then all of a sudden we're talking about teeny tiny nursing babies that can destroy his enemies. And this is what leads me to my second point which is the glory of God and his people. You see, in verse 2, David touches on a common theme throughout the Bible, which is that God often displays his power in weak vessels or moments of what the eyes of the world would call weak. This theme can be summed up by one word, counterintuitive. Counterintuitive means that is against our intuition or our worldly thoughts 
or what we would initially think is correct. We look around and we can see this everywhere. God is constantly using weak, insignificant people to accomplish great things. Myself, for example, I'm but a broken sinner who is destined for hell. And right now, God is using me to stand up on this stage to preach his word. It seems absurd. Some biblical scholars debate what David is alluding to here. Some believe he means it literally. In other words, he's not beating around the bush, right? Like he's meaning that when the enemies of God hear the goo-goos and the gagas of babies, that they literally become silenced because the glory and the power of their creator is far great to deny. And I think this is a valid point, right? And I'm sure there's parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles in the crowd who can relate because if you have ever held a brand new I'm talking brand new baby infant in your hands and simply thought about the miracle and the beauty and the tiny biological details that occurred for this baby to be born. Then the evidence of their creator is far great to deny. Other scholars believe that David could be alluding to his personal experiences in the battlefield. See, in 1 Samuel 17... Uh, we see that the Lord used David to defeat the Philistine battle giant, Goliath. So David was 15 to 19 years old when he did this, right? Just a tiny baby compared to this battle giant. So when he defeated Goliath, the result was the entire Philistine army fleeing. They were silenced. We also know that during the time when David was running from King Saul... Due to Saul being jealous of David and all his victories, that David created his own band of soldiers, somewhere around 400 in number, which was a, a tiny army. And this army was made up of people who were outcasts, desperate, or in debt. And it was with this army that David was able to defeat the nasty enemy of God, the Amalekites. Either way, these interpretations both go along with counterintuitive. Perhaps the greatest understanding of this theme is realized when we see it come to life through the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. See, in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus actually quotes this verse himself. In the beginning of the chapter, we see that Jesus makes this triumphant entry into Jerusalem, which was the city where he would be crucified in only five short days. He then goes into the temple, overturns all the money tables, kicks out all the people disgracing this holy place. And then we can read, starting in verse 15. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders that he did, and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus replied, Yes, Have you never read? You have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. In other words, the Pharisees and the scribes were so upset that the children were praising God, that they were praising Jesus. And they ask him, are you all right? Are you all right with this? And Jesus decides to quote this psalm saying that, yes, I do hear them. And yes, they are correct because I'm him. I'm the one that the psalm is about. 
And this psalm proves to actually be true when we see the response from the Pharisees and the scribes. Not another word out of their mouths. They're silenced. This is not the only time when the theme of Psalm 8 verse 2 applies to the life and teachings of Jesus, though. You see, it's pretty counterintuitive for the King of Kings, the source of our salvation, to be born to a carpenter father, a teen mother from the insignificant town of Nazareth. It's pretty counterintuitive for Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, to teach his followers to love your enemies and to become last place in order to become first. From the eyes of the world, one could even say that when on Calvary, Jesus was hanging on the cross with nails shoved through his wrists and his ankles, brutally beaten, that he was significantly weak. I mean, picture yourself there. What would you have thought? I know what I would have thought. I would have thought it was over. Right from the eyes of the world, it seemed significantly weak. But it was in that moment that God displayed his divine glory through this humble servant, Jesus Christ. This is it. When we are in circumstances, when it seems like we have nothing to turn to, when we have been weakened to the point of a teeny tiny nursing baby, we must remember that we serve the most mighty, glorious God. God displays his glory through these weak vessels. All right. Let's continue looking at the text. I I know I've only covered about two verses in 20 minutes. But there's seven verses left, so only 70 more minutes to go. So we're good. I'm kidding. But my third point is found amongst the verses three through eight. So I'll just pick up at verse three. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars, which you set in place. So when we read this verse... We see that David is again staring up into the heavens and praising God for his power and creation. So can you imagine if David were from northwest Oklahoma and he got to experience some of our sunsets and some of our evenings? Like how long this psalm would have been? Somewhere around like 100 pages, 100 verses, I don't know. But I want you to imagine with me that David is in northwest Oklahoma looking up at the scars in a wheat field in a pasture. And he's praising God for his creation. So he looks up, he sees the moon and the stars, and he states that with the power of God's fingers, his fingers, that he was able to create such a beautiful creation. So just for a second, I want us all to think about the power of our own fingers. And I don't know about you all, but mine are not that powerful. I mean, the most powerful thing they could probably do is something like 10 to 12 Fingertip push-ups. I don't know, maybe you're a guy like my father-in-law who wears a size 15 ring, right? Like, I'm talking the thought of having a thumb war with him makes your spine tremble. So maybe the most powerful thing he could do is something like 20 to 25 fingertip push-ups. Or maybe something a little bit more extreme, like strangle his son-in-law if he were to ever hurt his daughter. But really, our fingertips are just not that powerful. So back to my point about the God and the power of his fingers. It isn't that God has literal fingers, but essentially what David is expending on is the fact that God is really big and really powerful. 
And then in verse 4, after drawing on this extreme power, David asks a series of questions, and I'll read verse 4. What is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. And it is in the answers to these questions that we are led directly into my third point. The glory of God in the gospel. And asking these questions, David is absolutely astonished at how God works in our lives. You see, compared to many objects or many things that God has created, created, Man is but a speck in the universe. I remember once watching a video called The Known Universe in which the the screen starts out over the Himalayas and then it gradually expands out past the planets and finally out of our universe until our universe is like a teeny tiny pin dot on the screen. So after watching this, you can begin to relate to David because truth be told, we're really not one of God's more physically large creations. However, although so weak when compared to many of these creations, it is us. And I love the word that some translations use here. It is us mortals who God chooses to remember. And not only does he remember, but he looks after us. Then in verses 5 through 8, we read, You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You've put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. So in these verses, David continues to praise God for not only looking after us, but for also making us a little less than the heavenly beings, crowning us with glory and honor, making us ruler of the works of his hands. And putting everything under our feet. So those are some pretty incredible attributes for such small creation. So for some of you, this may ring a bell and take you back to Genesis chapter 1 of the creation story. So in Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 26, we can read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. What incredible gifts and power that God gave us. This is what David seems to be reflecting on. And I'm putting special emphasis on the word reflecting because as you and I know, just as well as David probably did, that we do not have full dominion or power over everything. So cats, for example, right now I'm experiencing my lack of dominion over the cats in my neighborhood. You see, if I had complete power over them, I wouldn't have to make a weekly trip to Target to get mothballs to spread them all over my flower bed, right? I would simply say, cats, stop pooping in my flower bed, and I would be a happy man. But that's not the case. This is not the case because of one thing, and that one thing occurred in Genesis 3. Sin. When the first man, a.k.a. Adam, 
When he sinned, this dominion, this power given in Genesis 1, it fell. And brokenness and death entered the world. And it snowballed. In fact, we can see that three chapters later after the first sin, that every inclination of the human mind was evil all the time. God was deeply grieved. God had every single right to completely wipe the entire earth of every piece of humanity. But he didn't. He didn't. Actually, what he did is he sent the one who would fulfill this psalm. This must not be taken lightly. It is in the glory of God that he sent Jesus Christ, a.k.a. the one we could call the second man or the last Adam, who became a little lower than the heavenly beings, offered himself as the payment for the sins of people like you and I. And it was in his death and his resurrection that he received the crown of glory and honor. Jesus fulfilled what we could not. And so, although now you and I do not have this this supreme power, I love how the author of Hebrews puts this. We see Jesus. For now we see Jesus. For now our hope is in Jesus. For now we see the glory of God through the redemption of mankind through Jesus. And it is in the second coming of Jesus Christ when all things, including brokenness, sin, and lastly, death, will be put in subjection to him. And it is then that the ones who gave their life to Jesus Christ, that we will be restored to an honor and glory far greater than anything that we can imagine now. So to conclude, let's look at verse 9, because in a way, David leads us right into it. Verse 9 reads, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. The exact same words as the opening half of verse 1. This again, at first glance, seems like David is simply restating verse 1, closing the psalm in a traditional way. Actually, when we read the final verse, we see that David is not meaning in a propositional way. Rather, it is in a way to conclude what he just said in verses 2 through 8 is more than enough evidence to say that God's name is glorious. So now as we leave here today, I want to challenge each and every one of you to live in light of God's glory in all that you do. For a second, think back to the beginning of the sermon when I said, when I gave examples of the things that we think we often see glory in, nature, sports, some it's art, In these moments, we typically aren't tempted by sin or by our flesh. We typically aren't tempted tempted to start an argument with our spouse, to lust, to be angry or full of hate. So if the glory of these things is is capable to impact us this much, how much more so can the glory of God? How much different would your life be if in every moment of your life, you are making a conscious effort to live in light of God's glory. Let's pray.
God, we praise you. God, for your glorious name. God, for watching over us and acting in our lives. God, you are so good. We praise you for Jesus, the one who fulfilled this psalm, so that one day we can look forward to a future glory with him. It's in Jesus' name. Molly, if you want to go ahead and come up. Let's give a hand to Gary. Did a great job. I learned a lot. I learned that sin is why cats poop in gardens. <laughs> and also that Garrett is way stronger than I am because he thinks 10 to 12 fingertip push-ups isn't impressive. I just was like imagining myself trying to do one, and it was, it was an embarrassing thought even. Uh, so I, uh, I really, really appreciate the word, Garrett, and it, it is truly amazing. Think how different our lives would be lived if in everything we saw the glory of God. We walked outside and we didn't just take the, the sunset for granted, but we said that's, that's a work of God. That's his masterpiece. That's how glorious and awesome he is. And that very same God cares about Blake Farley. That very same God cares about you. When you think about those kind of things, doesn't it just kind of put everything in your life in perspective? Right? Like the, the problems that once seemed so big compared to the glory of God seem really, really, really small. And as Garrett was speaking today, I was just impressed by the Spirit over and over and over again to open my own eyes and to look up at the glory of God. Because I get so caught up in my own life looking at what I'm doing and what's going on in my life that I can forget how magnificent and how powerful and how strong our God Yahweh really is. So friends, what I want to do, Garrett just prayed for us. I'm going to pray for us really quick. And then I'm going to give us 20 seconds just to say, God, what are you saying to me through this message? And you can reflect on the glory of God in your own life. And then we're going to stand and we're going to sing to this glorious God. So, Father, I thank you for Garrett. Thank you for the word he gave. Uh, Lord, the, the preaching of your word is a sign of your glory. That you would use guys like Garrett and I. You would use people, human beings, to proclaim your powerful and wonderful word. Your gospel message of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Lord, thank you for that message that has been preached today. Lord, that through faith in you, there is forgiveness of sin. I don't have to carry my shame anymore because you bore it on the cross. Thank you that through you, we have the Holy Spirit and the church to walk alongside us in this life as we pursue Christ's likeness. And God, thank you for the glorious hope. The hope that although this world is beautiful in many ways, we see the brokenness. And yet we know that you're going to return and you're going to restore that brokenness to the glory and goodness you have planned for it. And you have planned for us. Lord, it's on that hope that we now pray and we ask you, God, to speak to us. As your word has been preached, Lord, tell us what you would have us to do as we go out of this place and we live our lives. And right now, friends, I'm going to give you about 20 seconds. Just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? And then just listen, reflect upon what was preached. Father, may you give us the power and the courage to obey the words that you've spoken to us. It's in your name, your glorious name, we pray. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing.
Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.